Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. All right, welcome to this week's episode of The Flow Line. Everyone out there should go buy a lottery ticket because Matt and I are feeling extremely lucky today. We finally were able to get Miss Elizabeth McNeil, General Manager of AES, on the show. For those who wonder how AES has such an amazing culture, I believe a good majority of it starts with Elizabeth. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you, Justin and Matt. It's a pleasure to be on and sorry for the delay, but taking care of our people is priority. So just doing what we do. We appreciate it. Yeah, no, most definitely. And I was going to put you on the spot and ask why you've been avoiding Matt and I, but I think you already answered it. Is You know... <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure I know the reason beyond what you said. It's because you're probably one of the busiest and, and hardest working pr- people within the company. So I applaud you for that. And, you know, thanks for taking care of our people and, and keeping the ship sailing in the right direction. Cause you've been, I mean, from day one, a huge part of that, but I actually kind of, I want to take a trip down memory lane and I don't know if you remember, but we briefly met right after CES bought FMI back in, was it 2009, I think. Do you remember the day or the year? Oh, gosh. It was around there. It was around there because I was still in the CES office and it was 2009. But yeah, I was was working in Calgary and you must have come up with either Jim or Catherine Sherman for meetings, but you walked around and introduced yourself as Elizabeth McNeil from FMI. And yeah, I just remember thinking like, what a cool accent she has. Like I was blown away because I had never heard a Texas accent before. And so it was that was the first part. I was like, this is so cool. But besides that, just, you know, the personality and the character kind of really showed, you know, the high quality of people that we brought into the CES family. And, and then again, yeah, here we are 11 years later, whatever it is. But again, it's been a pleasure working with you. And it's so exciting to have you on because you've kind of seen the evolution of our company. You've hired and mentored and, and you know, supervised so many people within our organization. And I think that one of the most important things to, to talk about aside from all the technical stuff that Matt and I talk about, or more so Matt, the technical stuff, I just ask a lot of questions. But to really talk about AES culture, because I think you know it's been such a buzzword lately throughout the industry and in different industries. But before we talk about that, I would love to get to know more about you kind of starting off, you know, where you're from and, and allow the audience to maybe, you know, while most of them know your role here at AES, but really just to kind of get to know more about you and where you're from, and and then we can go from there. So first question, where are you from? I am from Corpus Christi, or that is where I grew up. I was born in Kingsville, Texas, and then we moved for me to start school, my brother and I. So I went to Cal Allen High School, and we had a Corpus Christi address. And so I like to cap on, I'm a South Texas girl and could appreciate a good hunt or a good fishing trip. Yeah. And when I graduated from high school, I went on to Texas A&M University and College Station. There was no other choice. There was no other application to any other school. That was what had been 
blood into my veins very early. And so I was able to get accepted. I also had a strong background in 4-H. So I wanted to go to AM because of their strong agricultural background and majored in agricultural economics with a food and fiber marketing specific degree. So that is you know, where I come from. And then after I graduated, I came to work for fluids management, which is now transitioned into a drilling fluids. I graduated in May of 2001 and then started in with AES or FMI in October of 01. So this past October made 19 years, which is really crazy because time to think that I've been with the company for this long is, is definitely just Fast forwarding on time, it's hard to believe that I've been here for that long, but it's been a wonderful ride, a very challenging and humbling experience. Just to kind of highlight on my avoidance, it's I'm not one to want to bring attention to myself. I would rather put my time and effort in the background and helping people to succeed and empower them and making the company successful. So it surely wasn't because I didn't want to speak to you or Matt. I definitely enjoy my chats with both of you. So thank you again for your hosting and your patience. But yeah, watching the company over 19 years, it's changed tremendously. When I entered the business, I was hired as a executive admin to assist the two owners of the com- of the company who the company was privately owned it was a husband and wife Jim and Catherine Sherman and from there I was able to slowly make trans you know to change into other roles from receptionist to accounts payable from there I learned our vendors what product we brought Uh, bought from those vendors. From then I transitioned to assisting two different buyers. I also came out of that and served in a safety role that encompassed fleet with that, just trying to bridge the gap. And at that time we were small, so it was a bit more manageable, obviously, but a lot, a lot to learn and continued my transition with I think I went back into purchasing for a bit, then became the director of operations and procurement. And now where I stand today over as the general manager overseeing multiple departments, you know, my love is being right in the middle of all the chaos. So the crazy days are what just truly makes my heart beat and excited for this company our people are what make this company. And, you know, I was really fortunate here recently of just going out to West Texas in a time where, you know, COVID is surrounded everywhere. We're concerned about our health. And there was a really delay in seeing the people at our warehouses. And so while being cautious and taking that trip, I wanted to take it because it had been since probably prior to March before I had seen our people. And obviously the personnel count had declined significantly because of labor reductions with regards to, you know, meeting certain goals that we had to obtain to make sure that we stayed successful and profitable for the company in this downturn. And 
when I went out, not expecting everybody to be big smiles and happy just because of the challenges that each individual is facing in 2020. And I can say that our culture truly radiated through every individual that I spoke to of how much they love the company, enjoy working with AES, don't want to work for another company. And this was all coming from, you know, their mouths and very genuinely spoken. And I was just really excited to come when I came back to Houston, because it was just kind of reigniting the fire of, wow, we really do have something very special here at AES Drilling Fluids. And it's hard to capture what that is from the outside looking in. But I think when you're in, hopefully you can feel that. Mm-hmm. No. And so it's interesting because, you know, like you said, back in the day, you started with FMI, very small, intimate, everyone knew each other, everyone knew each other's families. And that really generates and sort of creates a unique culture for any company at that size. But, you know, just, I think a lot of the times the challenge within organizations is as you scale up and you bring in people from other organizations, they bring in their sort of cultural, you know, methodologies or ways of working within certain, you know, boundaries. We'll call, we'll call it baggage. Baggage. That's a great <laughs> point. Man. Yeah. They come with, with baggage. I think that's, yeah. Thanks for summing that up. So I guess the, the question being is, is Elizabeth, through the years you've, you've witnessed and you've been a part of so many different departments and, and, you know, through the acquisitions, cause we've done a number of them. Can you speak on how AES or FMI or just the, the, the entire company has maintained such a great culture and would you say the culture has changed or is it the same culture, but just bigger? Like, can you kind of touch on that? I think with mergers and acquisitions that we have gone through, I think that, you know, our parent company, as well as AES identified companies that they thought would be a good alignment with AES. And when they recognize that, I think that it stood true and it allowed success when we took the two companies and we merged together. By all means, I think that each merger and acquisition brings challenges because you do, you're somewhat bringing two different cultures to come together. But I know what has always been highlighted for me with these companies is no different than when FMI was purchased is that we recognize the value that the company is bringing. The people are what have made this company successful. So let's stand back and observe and watch what they do, how they do it, why they do it. And then slowly after time continues to go on, we'll try to continue to mold into one, but not to do it overnight, to be respectful of the way and what they have created to basically solidify to become one. I think that also what makes it successful is going out and meeting all of those people of that organization that, you know, makes it successful. And like you started out the conversation with, when we were purchased, you know, I think it was maybe Richard and I who came to Canada and, you know, walking around and introducing ourselves of this is who we were. So I think it's also taking the time to make the personal connection and to understand 
what each individual, you know, contributes to the business and understanding that because obviously every business is outfitted differently. I think that our culture started out, we had a great foundation because FMI was very much family oriented and so small and intimate. And yes, it has grown. I would say that the culture is even stronger now than it was before. And it has to be because of our size, because of our growth, because of the geographic widespread that we are, it has to be stronger to be able to penetrate through all of those regions. So I think it's really cool that we haven't lost it. And I feel like that I can truly attest to that by hearing when I go to these facilities and it's people that we have hired within the last two to three years that are with us that are the ones speaking of our culture. Like it's a true test that basically it's still alive and it's thriving. So it's pretty cool. I was going to share, you know, an anecdote where I kind of had a moment of just realizing how the culture just permeates through everything. And I can't even remember how long ago it was. It was, you know, the oil field wasn't doing great. So that could have been the last five to 10 years, I guess, or since 2014. I say that jokingly, but, you know, it was one of those, we went on a management retreat and we were supposed to all sit around and kind of talk about our challenges and that sort of thing. And, you know, we had you know, everybody kind of in a circle and it immediately sort of just evolved into everybody complimenting one another with how impressed they were with the way they handled their department or their business. And it, it kind of went on for like a couple of hours of just everybody being like, Hey, I'm with you. I've got your back. And like, that wasn't actually this, I believe the stated intent. I think we were supposed to walk away with, you know, a few action <laughs> items or whatever those things are supposed to actually produce. But it just fascinated me that it was just immediately like everybody saying, hey, I work harder because I see what you do and I want to make you better. And it was it was just one of those things that I, I won't forget. Like, I've never been on one of those, you know, team outings at another organization or, you know, in, in under other circumstances where it just immediately went to how impressed you were with the other people and how you wanted to see them succeed. It was about all these action items and doing and, and that kind of thing. And I felt like that just really spoke to, you know, the culture that we have is that you, you couldn't get past that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. And Matt, something to supplement that actually last Christmas, when we actually were able to be physically together and not be physically distanced all the time, we had a, you know, a, a Christmas gathering and the following day I had coffee with Tom and we were actually talking about culture. And I said, Tom, I think what, something that sums it up quite nicely and something that I've always tried to sort of work with is the concept of windows and mirrors. And when things are going right, you look out the window, but when things are going wrong, you look in the mirror. And I think that's flipped in a lot of organizations. It's so easy when things are going wrong to say, well, you didn't do this and you didn't do this instead of just looking within yourself. Okay. What, what did I do wrong? And I think that's one thing. I mean, on all our conference calls, I would say at least once or twice, someone says, Hey, I want to, you know, we did well at this. I want to thank so-and-so, or we, you know, we've had a record. Well, I can't thank the mud engineers enough for doing their part. And so I think Matt, to supplement what you're saying is we're always looking for, you know, everyone else is part of this, you know, of the success, but when things go wrong, we have, a, we have no problem of just owning it. And, and while some do better than others, 
for the most part, we, you know, we take responsibility for things when they go wrong. And so again, I, I think that's again, a testament to, you know, management and, and things that sort of bleed into the rest of the company. And something else to say with that is, you know, with regards to ideas, I think a lot of times in, in companies, people are afraid to come up with ideas. And really the only way to get great ideas is if people feel safe to say them out loud, because a lot of times companies struggle with coming up with ideas because someone in the room is killing ideas because of their imposing, you know, political will against everyone else. And so that's one thing too, is like, for the most part in a room, people will come up with ideas that a lot of times people will just sit on their hands and be like, oh, well, either I'll get made fun of, or no one's going to value it. But that's another thing because without good ideas, you a lot of times can't make change. And so that's one thing I was going to ask you, Elizabeth, is, is how do you promote people to come to you or how do you open your door enough for people to feel safe to say, hey, like, I know I'm just, you know, this role, but have you ever considered doing this? I mean, can you touch on on that kind of aspect? Sure. And, you know, just adding really quick on our culture our culture is that we work as a team continuously throughout the day, every day. And yes, we have managers in place and we have different positions that have those responsibilities. But I think that we also have that open door policy that we are here to help. And so never feel like you have to carry the burden by yourself just because you are that manager, like you are surrounded with people who help. I also think that, so that always kind of opens the door for people to be, for us to collaborate and basically put ideas out there that somebody else maybe in your department doesn't, you know, isn't in your everyday, but because they're outside of the box, maybe they're able to really, you know, provide input that could be really impactful or effective just because it's not in there every day and it's something kind of fresh and new. I also just wanted to add as well that I think that gratitude is one of the key characteristics to the success of our culture. And both of you said that whether it's in the conference call and we have individuals who are thanking for the support that they gave, the additional resources that they provided we have that continuously that is vocalized through our conference call. But I think that that goes through our everyday that people are truly appreciative of when people are taking time out to assist, to execute, to make something happen. And I really think it's one of the keys, I would say, our team environment, gratitude, and the respect that we have for others. With regards to, you know, trying to allow people to give their ideas, I think that it's important for a manager to, you know, sometimes it's easy for wanting to put our opinion in or our input, but I think that it's also important to step back and just listen And sometimes maybe being that person at the end, because you want to encourage everybody to be able to speak and and give their input and feel like it's in a safe environment. And I know that that can be in certain environments, it can be more challenging than others. But I think that also, if you're able to give some constructive criticism, maybe about why this would or not work, you know, within our business, then that also helps that individual grow as far as recognizing, okay, this is 
the path that we're on. So, you know, great idea, but maybe it's not, you know, quite the fit that we're looking for right now. I think that also as a manager, just encouraging everyone that you want to see them grow, that you'd like to help them with their career path to know that you're fully invested in the individual. I think that that's important. And so therefore that just keeps the door open and them coming back, whether it's comments or input or, you know, possible suggestions that they might think, you know, that may be helpful for upcoming change. So one thing with, you know, we've mentioned is we've grown and we've acquired and and both of you have probably interviewed several people over the years. How do you identify someone that may or may not fit the culture? Because I think a lot of it, you know, is is it's, it's about the people, right? I mean, and you can train skill set, but you, you can't necessarily train attitude and culture. So, I mean, has that been a challenge, Elizabeth, or even Matt? I mean, can you speak on like how you would assess or how do you like, I guess, quantify someone to know whether they would fit a culture or they wouldn't? Is that, I mean, I've never interviewed anyone, so I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'll, I'll start and just say, It's tricky just because I've come into a culture that I really love and I'm also terrified of not being able to maintain it. But one thing I'd say is it's almost like this momentum that you have, right? And so you talk to you talk to certain folks. I think I think one thing that I find interesting is I don't think we interview entirely differently than typical places, but I think there are certain things about our interviews that sort of allow people to sort of reveal how comfortable they can be and and that sort of thing. I think that the other part of it is, you know, within our culture, I think when people find it and they love it, they become part of it immediately. There are certainly times where we've had some great people who've come join us and it didn't fit and they went and did something else. And while that was sort of disappointing, it was also, you know, yeah, if, if you've got this big kind of, you know, massive momentum moving in one direction and you don't feel like you're, you know, you're hooked into that then we want to make sure that you get the opportunity to, to feel connected to it or maybe go somewhere where you're more comfortable if, if you choose to do that. And so some of it, I think, sort of sorts itself out, but obviously we'd much rather hire you and have you forever. And so, I, I mean, I've been intrigued by some of the, just the nature of the questions. I think trying to make people as comfortable as possible in an interview is a big thing. My experience in the past with interviewing folks is that you can ask a lot of very general questions and get a lot of rehearsed answers, and you never really get to know the person. And I think just providing a lot of the examples of the way we take care of each other and our customers and ask people, you know, questions as to how they would do handle that situation or how they would relate to that situation, I think can kind of reveal whether, you know, their mindset is you know, something that kind of falls, falls in line with that. But I'll also add that's tricky because you want to be inclusive too, right? You don't want a bunch of people that look exactly like you. That's how you stagnate. So you don't want to immediately screen somebody out because that answer doesn't perfectly fall in line, right? A, a good culture is also always changing. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, no, that's great insight, man. Yeah, I would add on, you know, I think with interviewing potential employees. One way we've probably evolved over the years is, you know, having a discussion with them instead of, you know, necessarily a firing squad of just questions and making someone feel like they're under the gun. I mean, nobody really wants to feel that way. And 
What is the question that you're going to get posed that you're just, you know, terrified of? And that isn't the environment that we want to create because I don't think that's not who AES is. And so I think by us trying to open up, create a warm environment, sure, we're definitely going to ask questions that are necessary to try to understand, you know, the individual's assets, their skill set that they're bringing to the table, their background, their education. But as well, I think just having a chat with them and discussing and trying to get a better sense of who they are as a person. And then also inquiring, you know, on their personal side, what's important to them? Do they have family or do they have hobbies that take a big part of their life? So, you know, and like Matt said, we do the best that we can and, and try to assess that. But there are times, yes, where obviously sometimes it just doesn't work out, you know, and we just wish them the very best. Obviously we try to, you know, make it a hole in one all the time, but it doesn't always work. So, you know, we'll just try to keep improving, but I would say those are the things that I would contribute. Yeah, no. So obviously this last year has been challenging on a number of different levels, but with, you know, lockdowns working remotely, Elizabeth, how have you as a manager and I guess even, you know, Matt as a manager as well, has the culture changed and how do you think that'll impact things moving forward? I mean, logistically, obviously a little differently, but I mean, does that change the trajectory of how we're growing culturally or is it make it challenging? Do you think with technology, it's basically been a seamless transition? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I don't think that our culture has changed. I think that the way that we are communicating business on a day-to-day basis has definitely changed. I commend our IT team that we were able to transfer from being physically at the office to seamlessly transitioning at home of just getting the equipment, but we were all able to still stay very connected and continue to work and what was required of us day to day. What I think is missing is that people connection, you know, video is great staying connected, but I think people are meant to be with people. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that hopefully once a vaccine is made available to us and we can start going back into the office and having those chats, because sometimes it's those off the cuff chats where the creativity really starts to be released and that we start to collaborate on things that maybe, you know, weren't talked about on a specific meeting on a zoom or a WebEx call. And it's that camaraderie that strengthens the culture of just being able to ask, you know, hey, what did you do this weekend? And not to say that any of that can't be happening on the WebEx, but I just think that there's so many calls that are having to happen and the pace of the business never seems to slow down, whether it's the downturn or we're servicing quite a few rigs. It's always a very fast paced business, but I think that that minimal exchange is definitely missed. And so hopefully we'll get back to that soon. Yeah. I I wanted to add on to that. You know, I think 
Elizabeth, you know, we, we've talked about even when, you know, when we were in the office, you know, briefly under kind of some restrictions, just how energizing it was to see each other, how much that just made us feel energized. And, you know, one of the interesting things, so like, you know, Ricky in my group, when he first joined the company, I said, so one of the first things I want you to do is just go hang out where all the sales guys are for like an hour, talk to them and do it at least once a week. And he was like, really? Like, that's my job. And I was like, you are going to learn so much from them. And it's not because you called them up with a question. It's going to be because you heard them talking to a customer, they were solving a problem. And those are going to give you the ideas for products that our customers are going to want to buy and solutions that our customers need. And we, you know, we have to, you know, affect that disconnect. And I think, you know, with our, our lab folks who have kind of through the whole thing, you know, stayed in the office, it's interesting to see them connect with each other, but they're in a way, you know, personally disconnected with everybody because most of the stuff you can ask them to do, you can click a ticket as opposed to come down to the lab and how's that test going or those kinds right. of things. And, you know, I don't know if I want to call it a setback, you know, we're doing everything we can to get by. We just know it can be better. And that happens when people are together. You know, whether that's people remote in here and there and have a more flexible work schedule, that's great. But I think you hear from executives across the country, across the globe, that as much as they thought they were going to save all this money by having everybody, you know, set up their home office, they're realizing some of the things they're missing out on. You know, I hope we get to hire some more people. And I, you know, we could talk about the culture on a podcast and how much we love it but I want them to come in, into the office and see those, you know, unintentional happenstance interactions where they're like, wow, you know, there's something great here. It's hard to do over WebEx. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to getting back and, and to be in front of people. And so hopefully 2021 brings that back. And yeah, cause I mean, like you said, or like just ideas alone and, and the creativity and the conversation it sparks something that you really can't have over an intentional, you know, click of a button to get on video conference. It's a lot of just, you know, bumping into people, not physically, I guess nowadays, but (laughs) figuratively bumping into people in the hallways. There's extreme value in that. And so, yeah, definitely looking forward back to that. But, you know, Elizabeth, I certainly want to respect your time. But one question I did have sort of outside of the culture piece, but do you have any daily habits or routines that, that really keep you owned in? And, I mean, just like the rest of us, our, our business makes us work 24 seven, but can you speak on that? I mean, is there anything that allows you to disconnect and kind of keep recharged and keep positive? Because again, like I mentioned to you when I first met you, it was just like, wow, here's this happy, positive, energized lady coming across and, and you haven't changed. I mean, it's just like you, you, you get <laughs> Elizabeth every day. And so is there something that you do to help keep you focused and keeping the train on the tracks, if you will? Thank you, Justin. Your words are so kind. (laughs) I think what I do probably consistently outside of work is exercise. That's a really big part of my life. And I think it's important to maintain balance. The oil field is really good at sucking up all of our time. And as much as we love it, we can get a little lopsided at times. 
And I think that it's important to stay balanced with friends and family and your personal, because that way you are able to bring more to the plate when it comes to work. But I think that it's really important for everyone to find whatever that is that takes their mind away, just gives them a break and they're able to recharge no different than vacation, but having that balance daily until we can take a vacation. So hopefully we'll get back to being able to travel next year. (laughs) Right. No, that's such a good point. One last question I have, and then, then Matt, of course, you know, feel free to take the stage, but is there any other positive messages that you'd like to relay to, you know, everyone within AES or just the industry in general? Obviously we faced challenging times in 2020, hopefully 2021 is better, but yeah, just kind of allow you to, to send a message to everyone that's listening. That's either had a chance to meet you or maybe they haven't, but they're obviously extremely pleased with what they're hearing. Yeah. Any closing last words? For anyone who is listening, I would absolutely, if I haven't met you, I encourage you to reach out. I would love to introduce myself and meet you as well. I think that AES has done a fantastic job in a very, very difficult year. This is my third downturn to go through in the oil field. And I would say that this year, even though the difficulties that it brought, I think AES had the silver lining and we were able to gain market share and a downturn. And so on behalf of myself, Richard, everyone, I just think that that is absolutely incredible to be able to gain that momentum in such a hard environment. And so I just want to express my gratitude to everyone in this company because it took everyone to make that happen. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. Thank you so much. Matt, do you have any, any questions or closing last words, Ben? No, I don't think I could say it any better than that. Awesome. Well, Elizabeth, it's been an absolute pleasure. Now you won't hear from us for at least another year when we get to do an (laughs) annual recap. But again, thank you so much. Thank you for you know helping lead this company and for everything that you do and all the hard work and sacrifice that you put in. Like Matt said, seeing other people work hard really just you know makes everyone around them better and, and makes them work harder. And so for everyone out there, thank you so much for the continued support for the Flowline. If you could, please support the show by leaving a quick review. Also, if you have a great story or any comments, please hop on LinkedIn and reach out to either Matt or myself. You can also send us an email at the Flowline Podcast at aesfluids.com. Everyone out there, happy holidays. Take care. Be safe. Talk to you later. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of the Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.